What do Baltimore, Richmond, Orlando, and Charlotte have in common? All of them have been served by John Lewis, CEO of Charlotte Area Transit System. I'm Paul Comfort, and on this episode of Transit Unplugged, I speak with John. We talk from his office in downtown Charlotte about his history and the various roles he's had, how he became CEO there in Charlotte, what's been going on there with the opening of new light rail streetcar routes and new routes that are coming too in the future, plus his take on the future of transit for his fast-growing region and our industry as a whole. All that on this episode of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. I'm Paul Comfort, your host of Transit Unplugged here in Charlotte, North Carolina. My friend, John Lewis. John, great to have you with us today. Great to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. We're sitting in John's corner office with a great view of the city. And look, is that a transit center over there? It is. Uh, yeah. It's our uh, center, our Charlotte Transit Center, just out the window. So John is uh, a longtime industry veteran. And um, John, I guess let's kick it off. Tell us about your history and how you ended up here in Charlotte. Well, uh, it's I, it's been quite a path for me. I mean, I bounced around as many of us in the industry have. I started my career in Baltimore. Uh, at the Maryland Transit Administration. You know, I had worked uh, in policy. I'd worked on Capitol Hill, working for Barbara Mikulski oh, for okay. a number of years. I got into transportation policy and then went over to the state, uh, did some lobbying for Maryland DOT, uh, then caught the bug and wanted to get into operations. Um, worked on the highway side for a little bit. Okay. Um, worked on the intercounty connector. Interestingly enough, that intercounty connector opened several years ago, right. so I always use that as a lesson that good infrastructure projects uh, generally outlive politics and yeah. of the moment. What'd you do um, at the MTA? But I uh, started over in bus operations planning, writing okay. their new rule book, ah. um, and then had the opportunity to get into bus operations. Um, got in. Uh, that was a difficult time for the agency at that time because we went through literally two weeks after I started. Um, we went through a period where we had some difficult operations where we had uh, wheels come off of our oh, bus. Yeah. That was six months of a really difficult time period. Yeah. And I always look back at that when people uh, ask me, how do, we, how do you handle uh, particular difficulties in the industry? I said, my first six months in the <laughs> industry was the hardest part yeah. of my life. And I survived that. So everything else is, is cake. Um, but then uh, was able, we, we figured that out. Um, and interestingly enough, it was a, a really easy fix to a very difficult problem. What'd you do? Um, we had, just by happenstance, we had, I had run into an individual, retired lieutenant colonel from Aberdeen Proving Grounds. Mm-hmm. Um, a news story had just come on about our 19th uh, incident of wow. rear wheels coming off. And individual at that point said, you know, if you're willing to give us a couple of buses and don't care what we do with it, we'll fix your problem. Aberdeen, you know, it's a testing ground for sure. all military yeah. uh, weapon system. We convoyed three buses up on a Friday, Monday morning. They called and said they found our problem. Um, and it was a simple uh, problem. We, back when 
way back when in early in the industry when we had steel wheels on buses, right. you need to put a, a spacer between it to keep the wheels from rusting together. Okay. Um, that synthetic spacer, as many bureaucracies do, uh -huh. over the years, we went to aluminum wheels. Mm. Well, aluminum doesn't rust. You don't need the spacer, but we still had that spacer in there. And over the years, we were getting approved equals and the deterioration rate of that last uh, spacer that we didn't need, by the way, was causing um, the chucking of the wheels. Ah. And in something that heavy, all you need is a hair's width before eventually you're going to have a catastrophic failure. So was it pushing off the lug nuts? It was. It was. You get a little bit of space yeah. in there because the, the spacer was deteriorating. Okay. okay. Then you start getting movement of the okay. wheels. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And sooner or later, over time, they move, they move, they That's move. Interesting. You hit a, a pothole or a speed bump yeah. and you get that catastrophic all failure right. where all the lug nuts um, would shear off. Okay. And then the wheels were released. So you got that fixed and then Remove the spacer. And then. <laughs> so I always, lesson learned from that yeah. was I'd rather be lucky than good. Because <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. I hadn't had the opportunity to meet that individual from Aberdeen, yeah. You may not be sitting here. That's today. interesting. Yeah. Um, so I uh, got into uh, bus operations, um, then moved over to rail operations. Uh, and then, as sometimes um, those of us at, uh, you know, executive positions, um, we always wonder what it would be like if we were the captain of the ship. Yes. Um, and so I took a step, you know, Maryland, uh, MTA being one of the largest uh, full multimodal transit agencies in the country, um, I left MTA. Uh, in 2004 okay. um, to go lead a 140 bus only uh, agency in Richmond, Virginia. GRTC. Now, you know, GRTC. Yeah. Now, you know, Kirk Division in Baltimore yeah. <laughs> had right. 500 vehicles. Right, right. Um, so it was a bit of a, of a uh, change going from a very large agency to a small, but it was really one of my most enjoyable times in my career. That's great. Because being a general manager or CEO of a small agency, you've got to be a jack of all trades. Yes. Um, you get to know all the operators, you get to know the mechanics, you get to know the plans because you have to sit in and many times be a planner, right. be a, uh, you know, a budget person, be a government affairs person because you don't have all of the resources at a small agency that we had um, at a large agency. Great way to so learn that was a great time. I was trying to think back. So I bid on running the paratransit service there and won it at GRTC when I was with uh, Laidlaw. Do you Laidlaw. remember who was your uh, contractor back then for paratransit? Uh, we bounced around a little bit at, um, at there, and then when I got there, we took it in-house. Oh, you took it in-house, okay. Uh -huh. And so we ran uh, that in-house for a Good while, for but it was MV for a while had, yeah. the, had the contract. That's right, yeah. yeah. Maybe it was when I was with MV. I can't remember which one, but I remember being down there a lot. So how long were you there before you went on to? I was in Richmond for six years. Okay. Um, and then uh, had an opportunity from 150 bus uh, agency. I was sitting in my office, was not looking for an opportunity. Yeah. Um, the phone rings and I get a call from a headhunter and said, yeah, Orlando's looking for um, opening up. And, you know, a 300 uh, bus entity, a uh, little larger. And at that time, you know, the Obama administration was talking about high-speed rail okay. uh, and giving out those grants. And at that time, uh, Central Florida got the largest, uh, single largest high-speed rail uh, grant uh, in the nation. Wow. And so we were thinking through, I looked at, 
you know, what we were doing in Richmond, which was a great time. And we started the BRT uh, study there and built a new uh, uh, operations and maintenance uh, facility. But the opportunity to go to a multimodal agency, they were constructing their first commuter rail in central Florida. You had the opportunity uh, to build the first high speed rail between Orlando and Tampa. Uh, I said, you know, it looked like Florida may be an interesting opportunity. Yeah. Um, and it's the happiest place in the world, right? And the land of me. <laughs> uh, now, unfortunately, once again, politics played into uh -huh. it. The uh, uh, governor of Florida at that time had decided not to move forward with the high-speed rail. But we did uh, build SunRail. SunRail okay. went into operation, commuter rail in that area. And I spent five years in Orlando and similar to what happened in Richmond. Yeah. Phone rings one time. I had 100 calls. Uh, Charlotte is looking for a, an operator. And so, again, I uh, had the opportunity, was fortunate enough to come to Charlotte. Um, really one of the most progressive, I think, uh, agencies uh, in the Southeast. Um, Charlotte has always been very intentional and been very clear on what they wanted to be when they grew up um, and were very intentional how they grew and what it was going to take to grow. Uh, and that an important part of that was public transit. Uh, they had this 2030 plan. They uh, invested in it with a half cent sales tax. They beat back a very strong and well-funded effort to repeal the half cent sales tax uh, and have moved forward with building of their system. And so I felt very fortunate to be able to uh, take over the helm of such a great agency. At and this, this is time. a great city. Charlotte's awesome, man. Charlotte is, a, is yeah. an amazing city. I think it is one of those uh, little known secrets uh, that the secret is no longer a good, well-kept secret. Yeah. Um, 45 people a day are moving into uh, the city of Charlotte and will continue over the next 10 years. And so we've got incredible growth. It's a great opportunity for us. I think this is a, again, a region that knows what it wants to be as it's growing. The centers, quarters, and wedges uh, plan that was thought up in the 90s and early 2000s really figured out where this region wanted to concentrate growth, um, both from a density standpoint, uh, what are the corridors that were going to con connect those growth areas, and then established areas that would be low-dense single-family housing. And so it was easy to just overlay a rail mobility plan. And so um, th that really made it easy uh, from an agency standpoint to move a mobility plan forward when it was just when it was not just about moving people. Right. It was about growth and economic development. So so the transit plan is folded into the overall comprehensive plan for the city. Absolutely. That's the way it should be. That's the way it yeah. should be. So tell us about the scope of CATS. You know, vehicles, passengers, budget, all that kind of stuff. So CATS is a, is a little bit different uh, agency. Uh, CATS is a an regional uh, enterprise fund of the city. Okay. So I have a regional board made up of elected officials from throughout Mecklenburg County and a state DOT representative. But I'm a city employee. And, um, and, you're Katz, in, you're in the and city I'm in the city building. Yeah. And so all of our rail employees are city employees, okay. but our bus employees are uh, part of a, a privately contracted uh, entity um, are, that we contract out. Uh, it was uh, the former McDonald mm -hmm. um, that has now been ta taken over by RATP Dev. Dev. I'm going to visit uh, them right now in Florida. So, That's where I'm headed next. Uh, <laughs> they've been great um, in that regard. 
Uh, so we're a little bit okay. different. Um, you know, the our regional board handles all of our policy in, mm-hmm. initiatives, but all of our contract and budget comes through and sales tax comes through the city. Okay. Um, so I will find myself in front of my board one afternoon in front of the city council the next. But I think that also uh, comes with it the very close working relationships that this agency has with the city departments. You know, the planning department is upstairs. The, depart- the transportation public works department is two floors down. So in unlike challenges that I've had in other entities where, you know, development happens and then they contact the transit agency at the last second saying, hey, this business is coming. Um, they're opening next week. Can you put a bus stop there right. or reroute a route? We are bought and find ourselves bought in at the very beginning That's of a great. lot of these these plans. Yeah. And I think that helps us from a more of a service delivery standpoint, but also meeting uh, the greater needs of the community. So passenger counts, number of vehicles, all that kind so, of stuff. So um, CATS has, we have about 350 buses okay. operating throughout Mecklenburg County. Um, we have uh, our 2030 plan calls for five rail corridors, okay. um, north, south, east, and west. Um, we have just opened our second uh, uh, extension of the blue line, which connects um, um, north, uh, excuse me, southwest uh, to northeast through the city, just under 19 miles um, of rail, Is it light uh, rail? alignment, light rail yeah. alignment. Uh, we have our second corridor, our streetcar, which is our east-west uh, connection, which uh, our first uh, phase opened a little over three, about three years ago, which connected uptown uh, to a two, two mile connection from uptown Charlotte. We call our downtown uptown in Charlotte. Okay, yeah. um, connecting uh, the uh, community college and a major employer of Novant Health. Okay. We are now expanding that uh, for the first into the west. So for westward from uptown, connecting to Johnson, uh, Johnson and Wales University and Johnson C. Smith University and the historic West End community. Uh, and then east from the Novant Hospital to the Elizabeth community. So for the first time, uh, we'll be connecting communities with our streetcar. We're going to be transitioning from the um, uh, traditional uh, Old South streetcar to our modern streetcar, uh, Siemens vehicle that will look very much like uh, the vehicles we operate on our light rail. Yeah, they're beautiful. Um, they're they're yeah. great vehicles and been worked very well from us. Um, we will miss a bit of the nostalgia of our uh, old Gamecos and look kind of like the San Francisco uh, streetcars, but we're real excited about the opportunities that modern streetcar uh, will bring. And then we are finishing up the plans for the next three corridors. Okay. Uh, we have three additional corridors to build. Uh, Northern alignment, uh, connecting uptown to our uh, towns of Cornelius, Davidson, and Huntersville. Uh, that is currently set uh, for a commuter rail. We have southeast from uh, uptown, uh, connecting to the town of Matthews, which is an 11-mile corridor, uh, and then connecting uptown to our airport, which is really the engine, our economic engine. Uh, Charlotte Douglas uh, Airport is the fourth largest airport uh, in the country uh, and really is a strong driver of economic activity here. And being able to connect the airport uh, and beyond to the activities in Center City is a prime focus for us. That's great. So um, 
So you've got new rail coming, and are you also going to do something with your bus routes? So uh, as we all know, we rail is just as much about economic development as it is about mobility. And today we're moving with the blue line. Uh, we were moving about 15,000 people daily. With our new extension, we've added uh, about 12,000 additional. And we'll, we, uh, after our year one numbers, we believe we'll be up in that 35 to 36,000 passenger ra- range from rail. But we move 60,000 people a day on bus. Right. So even with all the great investment and the great experience that we've had with rail, the vast majority of our uh, commuting and mobility uh, uh, trips happen on bus each and every day. And we're going through, like so many uh, transit agencies, a complete rehaul of our bus uh, system. Um, we are calling to here Envision My Ride. Uh, the and it is what is driving that effort is that rapid uh, growth in our city and the demographic changes that are happening, just like are happening in many urban areas. It's cool to live in cities again. Yeah. So you have, you know, baby boomers who are moving back into urban areas, along with uh, millennials who uh, move into urban areas for all of the great benefits that happen. Um, they move here for transit opportunities, but they're not transit dependent uh, uh, riders. Um, and so our transit dependent riders are having to move further and further out uh, of the urban areas in order to find affordable housing. So that brings us a, a great challenge. Um, our system was designed in a hub and spoke mm-hmm. uh, where most of our transit dependent people lived in the urban core and they had access to high frequency bus lines. But now that they're moving further and further away for lots of reasons, um, we have to rethink how we deliver that service. And so part of that um, is going from a hub and spoke system to more of a grid system that requires less transfers. You know, right now today at our uh, downtown transit center, you know, 40 percent of our riders have to come into our transit center, get off one bus get across the uh, platform, get on another bus to then leave downtown again to get to their destination. If you have to take more than one bus today um, uh, as a part of your trip, your average trip is 90 minutes. Mm. Um, that's unacceptable. Um, imagine if any one of our trips commutes were 90 minutes each way, that's more than three hours a day. We either give it a new job or move to someplace closer. Right. And so many of my customers don't have that uh, uh, ability. So we've got to change our system to better meet their needs. Now, the challenge that I think we're having is this is happening so rapidly around the, the country. There isn't a whole lot of data in this. So this is more of an artwork um, right now than science. Uh, we're excited about it. We are following a lot of the lead of what happened in Houston and in Baltimore. Right. Uh, we're using a lot, doing a lot of this work in-house um, I, I challenge uh, our planning staff to get out there, to push the envelope. Let's, let's have very interactive discussion with our customers about what we're trying to attempt, solicit their feedback, and then let's get the model out there uh, and kick the tires and, and get their feedback. Um, but we've got to be willing to take some risks in order to make this system uh, the most effective that we can. That's great. So, um, you and I were talking earlier about kind of transit trends that are affecting our industry as well. So tell us about some of the kind of 
new innovative approaches. You've talked about rail and bus. Now, have you got something new going on with Lyft? Sure. We uh, just announced two weeks ago a uh, new partnership with Lyft. And we hear a lot in our industry about the first and last mile challenges, particularly when you're talking about rail. Uh, connections. And so everybody loves rail. They love the opportunities that, again, particularly when you're bringing new riders into the system. But then the ambiguity of what happens when I get off of the last station? What if I can't walk to my destination? That really becomes a big hurdle um, for attracting new riders. And so in some cases, a bus may be able to get you to your destination. Um, but in others, particularly in our suburban areas where we're serving, um, you know, business parks and others, a bus route isn't the best solution there. But that doesn't mean that those people don't need those connections. And so we want to, we're, um, announced a pilot, uh, with Lyft, um, that we will, uh, subsidize and participate in the cost, uh, within a geofenced area. And so, uh, we will, uh, provide up to $4 uh, in that trip cost, overall trip cost, as long as your trip originates or ends at our rail station. Okay. And so within generally a two and a half mile radius of our uh, rail station, uh, you can get off you, of our line and get a subsidized trip with Lyft that will take you from the station directly to your destination. And how do you book that if you're a And we do that with our, um, uh, we're doing that from a technology standpoint. So uh, you have to get a monthly pass uh, okay. for CATS. Uh, Lyft, uh, we make that connection. So Lyft knows who our monthly pass riders okay. are. Right. And so then when you go to their app and book a trip, they know that you are a transit rider where you're coming from. And they know within that geofenced area, that you're eligible for that uh, subsidy okay. from us. More effective, uh, we hope, from a customer standpoint, because it takes out the ambiguity of, all right, did I make that next bus? Did I miss the bus? Am I going to make it right. to my destination? Much more divine, uh, defined in that regard, much more flexible uh, in that regard. But it also uh, provides a cost-effective uh, option for our customers that I don't have to operate a route that's right. operating all day, every day, when really I only need to provide ser peak service at certain times. So they book it on the Lyft app and then does Lyft bill you? Lyft bills us okay. monthly. That's good. I haven't seen anybody else do that. That's interesting. We're What's keeping your, our fingers crossed and what, we'll see how that, any that plays results out. in the first two weeks that you've seen? Or? Um, we, we're seeing uh, it's picking up. Um, mm -hmm. It is. I don't expect it to be huge numbers because right. if it was really big numbers, we probably ought to be operating a bus route right, right. there. So I think it's bridging that gap between you know uh, large numbers where we ought to be moving people from bus, um, but too small to ignore, but large large enough that we shouldn't ignore. Right, um, right. And so it gives us the opportunity to use the uh, the efficiency and engineer the private sector to meet a public sector need. That's a good jumping off point for like wrapping up, which is talk to us about your view of the future of mobility. Where, where are public transit systems headed? Uh, there's so much talk about, hey, you know, autonomous shuttles are going to come in and take passengers. Where do you think public transit you know, is headed I, in the urban areas? I think, I think it, none of us know. Okay. Um, you, you know, I just think that we just started, just finished our conversation with Lyft. Seven years ago, Lyft didn't even exist. Right, yeah. And so seven years from now, who knows what we'll be talking about? I think we have an opportunity here. And I think what uh, you'll see in the transit, what, in the transit industry and what we're trying to accomplish 
is we need to become more of a mobility provider. Um, and, and that doesn't mean, that means even if you're not on a CATS vehicle. And so what we want to gauge our, our effectiveness is, is when each individual in this region thinks about their commute or their trip on a trip by trip basis. And we're looking at what is the most effective way of getting from their origin to destination. And if they come to us and think of CATS in that, uh, this decision point, then I think we've done our job. And so we have to diversify our offerings. Uh, train is king. Uh, nobody can beat us in terms of the efficiency of, of rail, congestion, weather, none of that play into that. We've redesigned our bus system. We're looking at uh, private sector partnerships. So we have to make sure we're offering a variety of services that meet the mobility needs. Now, new technology, we have to be ready and willing to embrace those new technologies that come in. I think in regard to autonomous vehicles, um, you know, the, the science and technology is the easy part. We know that those vehicles can go. Whether or not, how Americans embrace that new technology, we'll see. Um, but I think what will happen is that fleets will go first. And so, um, and I think transit agencies will probably be one of the first to embrace that. And so, you know, my bus routes operate up and down the same corridors each and every day, stopping at the same stops. And so a large percentage of our operating costs are putting an operator behind that wheel. So what if we didn't jump into the autonomous vehicle uh, uh, industry first? I think it would make sense for us, since we've got 350 and growing uh, numbers, to operate autonomous vehicles. Now, I've got to have some real straightforward conversations with my workforce on yes. that. But maybe that operator becomes an ambassador on board that bus, helping people, you know, with their trips and fare payments and others. Um, so we've got to be nimble that we embrace new technology while still providing the uh, mobility uh, needs that our customers deserve. That's great. Well, you've got a, a great thing going here. Katz is uh, dominating the news media coverage for transit systems across America with your new blue line and all the great plans you've got. Uh, it's, it's an exciting time to be. What's next for you? Are you planning to stay around for a while? Oh, yeah. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't have a better time than there and find a better place. Everything we're doing is new here in yeah, Charlotte. So exciting. I don't, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about old trains and, and other things uh, like so many of us uh, are dealing with in the industry. Um, I just got to find about $6 billion to build out those next three quarters. <laughs> I was going to so, ask you about that. Is it like in the long-term capital budget yet, uh, or at least the initial? We are, I'll, I'll tell you, the downturn in the economy really played havoc with our financial plan. Um, we, the half-cent sales tax and our plan would have built these quarters. Then we had the downturn. We lost about $2.5 billion in bondable revenue during that you know, six to seven-year period. So we're looking at a way of, of jump-starting that and still meeting our 2030 goal, okay. but we're going to have to do it, You know, get creative in that, that regard. Um, we're still waiting to see what comes out of Washington. Mm -hmm. I think no matter what we do from a creative delivery standpoint at the local level, the federal government still has to be at least a major partner uh, and funding partner in that. Because without the feds, nothing we do at the local level is going to matter. But uh, if we can continue to count on the feds as a, as a major funding partner, then we're looking to do some creative things in this part with value capture along our current lines, diversifying our funding stream. Uh, and then we're going to have a real heart-to-heart uh, -heart conversation with uh, the citizens of this region about additional funding. Very good.
Well, thank you, John Lewis, CEO of the Charlotte Area Transit Systems. Uh, we were talking today in his office overlooking Charlotte on a beautiful day. The rain has passed, the sun has come out, and I think the future is bright for this area and your system. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Paul. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.